Hi, I'm Erica. And I'm Julianne. And this is Radical Healing. We gather stories from the Christian missionary community in Japan, where we both grew up, and talk to people about what it's like to navigate life after leaving that bubble. We interview alumni from our alma mater, the Christian Academy in Japan. We also talk to people who've had similar experiences of deconstructing and reconstructing their worldviews in profound ways. By connecting with like-minded people out there who felt silenced or alone in their experiences, we want to serve as a resource for healing. In this episode, Julianne and I, Erica, interview CAJ alumni from the class of 2015 and 16, Erica, Julie, and Nashe. We invited them to talk about a call to action letter that they wrote to the CAJ administration this past summer. In conversation, we ended up talking about identity, the TCK label, queerness, and sex education. Talking with the girls, we realized that radical healing is something that you can't do all on your own. Having a support system is so important to be able to share things you may be embarrassed or afraid to speak out loud and to affirm each other, to know that you're not the only one. We know that CAJ is a space where many ideas and identities are not welcomed and discouraged from being discussed. To make a change, we need networks of support and accountability. It's healing to be able to share our stories with each other and draw motivation from all our stories to fight for the younger generation in our communities. If you are a queer young person at CAJ or somewhere else and looking for a network of support, Know that you're not alone and that you can reach out to us. Welcome to Julie and Erica, who are joining us. Thank you for being willing to talk to us today. No problem. Having us? Yeah, thank you for having us. If you can do a quick self-introduction, Julie, would you like to start? Yes, I'm half Japanese, grew up mainly in the States. I grew up in Texas for about 16 years, but visited Japan every summer. And um, I always wanted to live in Japan. So my junior year of high school, I moved to Japan and lived with my grandparents and then started going to CAJ. Um, And then my senior year, I actually lived with the Mutendas, who's um, Nashe, who was also wrote the thus the call to action. So that's kind of also my connection to CAJ. I'm currently based in Dubai as cabin crew. And yeah. Had you lived in Japan before, like short term? No, I never, never had just, just summers. Like at most we were there for like a month. And did you decide with your parents to go to CAJ or were there other options that you were also considering? My CAJ plan started in fifth grade. When I was in fifth grade, I just had this like idea that I wanted to move to Japan, but I didn't think that I would actually do it. Like I was like in high school, I'm just going to live in Japan as like a preteen. And then so in fifth grade, we went to CAJ because my mom also was like Christian. She wanted maybe to continue that. And honestly, CAJ's tuition is lower than the other international schools. So that was also a huge factor. So yeah, whenever my sophomore year of high school, I was like so sick of living in Texas. And my mom just kind of brought up the idea again of being like, well, you used to say this, would you want to go again? And I was like, yeah, of course. So it was supposed to just be one year, but I had like made a lot of friends and actually like Nashe's mom, Mrs. Mutenda really encouraged me to stay senior year and was like, you can live with us. What was it about Texas, if you don't mind me asking, that you were yes, yes, yes. tired of, <laughs> that you wanted to get away from? Um, I don't know. I've 
I've never liked living in Texas. Like even since I was little. And if you know people from Texas, they're very much like Texas. Like <laughs> the, that's like the first thing they tell about like about themselves. Like I'm from Texas. So I think it was that. Also, I grew up just with my mom. And so I think that for me, the Japanese influence was a lot stronger. And it's not that I don't fit in with Americans, but like even growing up here in Texas, all of my friends, none of their parents are from the US. All of my friends are like second gen or like first gen. So even here, I always, my circle was very like, I guess in a way international, not like even intentionally, but those are the people that I found myself just relating to more. And so like the broader Texas and I'm like from deep suburbia, also <laughs> just not a fan of that. So I, I don't know. I think, and that like, plus the combination of like teen angst being like, I hate it here. And like, I just want to leave was really strong for me. And I don't know. I watched a lot of YouTube videos of like people going to boarding schools. So I just like the idea of like leaving my suburban hometown was really romanticized, I guess, in my head. Wow. So what year was it that you moved to Japan? Um, so I guess 2014. And then you were there until 2016. Yes, until okay. I graduated. Yes. Mm. Thank you, Julie, for your introduction. Erica, you know what? If you can also share about your background and also if you can let us know the years that you were at CAJ. Okay. My name is Erica and I was born and raised in Japan. My father is Japanese and my mother is Bolivian. So I kind of like went back and forth between Bolivia and Japan during summers and winters and things like that. I went to a different international school for most of my life from kindergarten into seventh grade and then in wait seventh, which one I went to um K International School it's like a really small one they're very like academic it's a Japanese school but with the IB program or with like the international school curriculum where is it located it's located in East Tokyo in Kiyosumi Shirakawa it's, it's not like the big international schools but I went there most of my life. And then in eighth grade, I think it was where I was super unsatisfied with my education by my teachers. And I decided that I wanted to switch schools. And I was very religious at that point. So my mom is Christian. So I grew up going to church and uh, getting baptized and things like that. So um, me and my friend, we decided, yeah, let's like apply to CJ. Like no one had heard of CJ at this point. My parents were like, no, what are, what are you thinking? Like, no way. Like go to, if you're transferred, go to like Seisen, go to Ish. Like what, don't travel an hour and a half to go to this school. But I think it was like, I also really wanted to, you know, work on my faith and things like that, which is ironic because the moment I got to CJ, it kind of just like 180. But um, that was something that I really wanted to pursue. So I moved to CJ in... 2011, 2011 freshman year, I started high school and then I graduated from CJ in 2015. And then I went to school in New York and I studied urban studies and architecture. And now I'm back and I work for like a service design company, which is kind of like policy design. I'm really interested from both of your backgrounds, pretty different to ours. Do you two identify as TCK? How do you feel about that? So I didn't hear the word TCK until I went to CAJ and I was like, it was suddenly like, 
feel like teachers were talking about it. We talked about it in chapel. Now I like get the word. I like get, yeah, there's people who like experience third culture kid. I just really identify with being half, which is like not a word you can really use outside of anybody who's not exposed to Japan or like Japanese. When I say I'm half in the States, it's very like, like half what? And I'm like, like half. So, and especially now that I live abroad and like introduce myself as like, oh, I'm from America. I'm from the States. Almost immediately, they're like, oh, but what's your ethnic background? So there's very few conversations that I have that I'm just speaking as an American or just speaking. It's always like, oh, American with Japanese background. So that is kind of where I feel the most comfortable. But at the same time, like I also have no interest in living in the States, especially like now (laughs) this climate is just not one that I want to live in. So I guess in that sense, I'm like very interested in other cultures and like kind of interested in like being an immigrant, I guess, in other places. So yes and no. Yeah, that makes sense. I forget if we talked about this on the podcast before, but we were talking about who gets called an immigrant. Yes. And I noticed when you were talking about growing up, basically you were saying like your friends were sort of immigrant or like, you know, came from immigrant families And we were saying, like, whether you are called a TCK or immigrant very much depends on, like, did your parents come from the West (laughs) or did they move to the West? Um, So that's just super interesting of, like, who gets called what? Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Erica, how about you? Uh, How do I feel? There's a specific moment that I remember my senior year or my junior year at CAJ when this woman kind of came to talk to us about being a TCK or something like that. Is she from like Haiti? I, I have, I don't remember. Okay. I have no we idea. Had a, we had like a Haitian TCK. Oh, no, no, no. Was she, was not Haitian. Uh, she was not Haitian. I'm sorry. She was oh. white. She was white American. She was white. Like, grew up okay. in Haiti. Okay. I'm curious oh. if they always got the same woman to come every year. Now. But that was 2009, maybe so. Maybe. I think because it was maybe 2014 or just, I don't think Julie got this lecture. I always talk about it with her, but she, she doesn't know anything that I'm talking about. I think it was just a one day thing. So maybe. maybe just- it was, yeah. <laughs> we had like a one day TCK seminar and. I just, I don't remember much about it, but I do remember she was like, you know, people in the world are squares and circles and, but you guys are like, you know, don't fit in like the square circle triangle. Like you guys are a star. And we were all like, what is going on? Like, cause at this point we're 18, 17, you know, like we're not, we're not just going to like take you guys are a star as like a legitimate, I don't know, argument. And we were all just like, ah, eh, like this is kind of dumb. But I, I, I did appreciate this like effort and you know trying to make a lot of us who feel like we don't belong at a specific or identify with a specific cultural background kind of be like, you know, we're all like this. But for me, it just made me complacent. I think uh, just growing up because going to international school, I was you know. I go to international school. I go to school with like all these people from different nationalities and different races. I think it made me very complacent towards like issues regarding race or just understanding my privilege or my positionality and things like that because I had gone to school being told, I wasn't necessarily told that I was a star, but 
it kind of made, we all kind of felt like stars, you know, like we're different from the Japanese kids around us. Like we speak English, like we're so multinationality and it almost just like the school, I think my school, my school wasn't CAJ, but I feel like the school also just took that as like, yeah, because we're international, like we don't really need to address anything that it, any like race related issues or conversations ever so to me the word tzk is like an ego boost i know it's not maybe supposed to be like that but in my context it just like made me feel better about myself because i was different from people and that i didn't have to be considerate towards like my own biases yeah that totally makes sense i mean again like when we most of the time when we talk about tzk stuff like there's no racial analysis you know, and it's just, and basically, yeah, they're saying you're special. So they're saying everybody else is not special. <laughs> like that's a interesting choice, but yeah, that definitely makes sense where you can kind of step out of, I don't know what, what you're stepping out of, but sort of I'm different. Yeah. Right. And I, I guess that's an interesting point as well. Like that you said that we're all, te- I mean, cause we're not all stars, right. We're all technically a little bit different we do have to acknowledge those differences. So it kind of just like, how do you say, like, it's just overly simplifies the whole thing. And I think it's overly simplified. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) We have so much we could talk about, but I think it's also interesting to compare contrast. When you say like, I'm half, that is also, you know, that can mean so many things, but it's just interesting these like different identifiers and I'm not half. So that's, that's, you know, not mine. And maybe just to jump in with a little definition for anyone who might be listening, who's not familiar with the idea of hafu. That's a term in Japan uh, to describe people who are half Japanese and half another nationality. And it's used just that word hafu is used to describe that whole group, which is actually, there's a lot of diversity within that group, but it's kind of a lump term to describe anyone who's half Japanese. Yeah, but that's actually interesting that you mentioned that because you know how Julia was talking about how she would be like, I'm half. I've never, ever identified myself as half because I think it's like a very half Asian, half white thing or like half Japanese, half American, like half Japanese, half European. I've always been like, I'm half Japanese, half Bolivian, because I feel like there's like a tokenized image of like a half Japanese woman in Japan. And it's very like, you know, the classic Asian, you would say. Um, So yeah, that's just interesting. I've never, I've never identified myself with that word. To continue on like the half thing, I also, because I grew up like very involved in my like Japanese Christian church in Texas, all of the kids were also half. Like the kids I grew up, everybody's mom was Japanese and then the dad was like generally white. I don't know. I think that also like influenced that word being so big in my head. And when I'm in Japan, I get asked a lot because I look like the typical half, like half white, half Japanese. I get asked by store clerks and like on the street, like half of this guy, are you half? So I think for me, that reinforced that word being like something that I identify with so strongly. 
Uh, recently, I was thinking about TCK and how that term is so popular at CAJ. And I was wondering if one of the reasons is that it's this like convenient bandage solution to all these complexities and problems created by this environment, whether it's like mental health issues or interpersonal issues or like, I don't know, just like interfamilial normal- issues. <laughs> Yes. And yeah, just issues within the family or just like regular teenage angst, you know, that's not really acceptable. Like teenage angst is not really acceptable within a Christian worldview or like family system. And I was thinking like, you know, there, of course, there's a lot of people who like acted out or who didn't fit within this ideal of what it means to be a good Christian CAJ kid. Like if you don't fit in that, it can be chalked up to like, oh, TCK issues. Or like if you're acting out, it's like, you know, maybe you come from a family and your parents are like super authoritarian, conservative Christian uh, and you're rebelling, which is like healthy and normal. But then it can be just chalked up to like, oh, these are TCK issues. It's like this one size fits all like solution to any types of rebellion or going against the stream or just mental health issues as well. I I completely agree. I never thought about it like that, but that's such a good point because I was listening to your, Erica, your podcast episode and how you were talking about how like with senior comps, like everything was just like gone down to like sin or the downfall of humanity for like all these like complex social world problems. And it's, I see some similarities in that. So I, I could totally see how that's like a bandage explanation for teenage angst and et cetera. <laughs> just curious, Erica, at K International, did you ever hear that term TCK? No. And that, I, I guess when you were talking about it, it also made me feel like maybe TCK was a word that CJ specifically used more than in my international school. I think what we have demographics there. Um, so the, the curriculum, well, the curriculum first is not American. It's British or Switzerland. I don't know. IB. Um, and the demographic was uh, a lot of Japanese, a lot of like Indian a lot of half Japanese, some half white, like a lot of Southeast Asian, South Asian Muslim kids. We didn't have too many white or black students. But yeah, I don't think it was as used in my international school. Erica Hughesby and I were really, really curious and happy to get the chance to talk to you guys about this call to action letter that you recently wrote with Nashe and Nanisha. Erica Hughesby sent the letter to me and shared like, here's this letter that some alumni from the class of 2015 and 2016 uh, put together asking Uh, CAJ to basically calling CAJ out and holding them accountable and asking for these changes uh, when it comes to anti-racism education and increased inclusivity. And I was really blown away by the letter. It's really important stuff that you guys were writing about. And it was surprising too, because I feel like it's very un-CAJ-like. I feel like the culture of CAJ is to gloss over a lot of these systemic issues. And also when it comes to sexuality as well, that's a very taboo topic. So I was really impressed that you guys came together to write something and very explicitly calling CAJ out 
on these issues. If you could give a general overview of the contents of the letter for our listeners, that would be really great. Erica, if you could start us out. So this letter was just kind of bringing the recent deaths of a lot of um, Black civilians in the United States that has caused um, a lot of political movements around Black rights and making sure that we are combating systemic racism um, within our own systems that we are a part of and how we would like CAJ to also acknowledge their parts in maybe falling short and including Black history in their educational curriculum or just Indigenous history and kind of have a more inclusive and comprehensive understanding of history and race and topics even just sexual health education. So in general, we had five specific points that we wanted to bring to CAJ administrators and educators. And to be fair, it it wasn't um, complete. And it's I think it's still a work in progress. But for now, we wanted them to one, acknowledge that racism is historically perpetuated systematically by the church. So kind of just acknowledge the wrongdoings within the Christian history and within Christian communities to, I mentioned a little a little bit in the beginning, but to reform educational practices to kind of look at the current books and historical narratives that are being chosen and kind of making them more yeah, inclusive, but also uh, making sure that Black or Indigenous or Japanese authors are being talked about and that Japanese history more specifically is uh, more mandatory within our education. And also... Number three, we wanted maybe to suggest some anti-prejudice training for educators and students. So the same way that CAJ has like SWOW or these like really great days and activities to kind of build character and um, identity, we wanted like anti-prejudice training to be part of it, both for teachers and students. And we also thought that um, as a school, we expect them to hire a licensed professional focused on developing an equitable and just environment, both for people who need mental health support or people who need any cultural sensitive, anything related to culturally sensitive topics. Um, We thought that a professional who's able to give an objective standpoint and also tangible, practical tasks and goals for implementation would be very beneficial for the school. And number five is we also suggested a reformed guidelines and resources for sexual misconduct and sexual health education. So we acknowledged that, you know, maybe because sex and sexuality is kind of a taboo in CAJ, that there might not have been uh, as open of a support system as there is now or there could be. So we just wanted to make sure that the school continues or becomes a more safe space for survivors or people who have had different experiences. But number six, we also thought that it's important as a Christian school to include a more diverse Christian perspective. So not only like an American or like a specifically evangelical Christian perspective, but more invite speakers from different parts of the world and incorporate that into the biblical aspect as well, because it's very different. And also, you know, because we are from different backgrounds, Uh, nationalities. We thought that it's important to acknowledge that. But yes, that is the overall six things that we wanted to address in the call to action letter. 
Great. Thank you. So can you two talk about how did you start this? How did you sort of go about putting this together? Yes. (laughs) Julie, feel free to jump in whenever. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned that this is a very non-CAJ thing or it's not very usual for people to speak out, I guess. Um, And I think that comes from me and Julie's background of not being very emotionally too much attached to CAJ as much as Nasha and Anisha were. So we were coming more from like an objective perspective and wanting the institution to be better. And there weren't that many feelings attached to community members or um, specific teachers. And I think for us really spearheaded this movement was this open letter on why It's called An Open Letter to the International School Community, Our Role in the Black Lives Matter Movement and Anti-Racism Work. And I think it really spoke a lot about, uh, you know, the colonial history of international schools and how we are completely positioned in a very different way from like local schools um, and how it, it does have to do with power dynamics between developed countries and developing countries. And that also talking about how these curriculums are basically made by colonial powers. And it's kind of ironic that, especially in Asia or Southeast Asia, we're going to school learning about, you know, all this European history taught by like these white professors or sorry, white teachers. And it. It was just also talking, I don't know, I think it was also talking about how sometimes the most racist people that we've encountered are our classmates from international school, which is something that the open letter brought up as well. And I think that really spoke deeply to both of us because it had a lot of um, history and a lot of like factual context to the arguments that she was making. And it was very eye-opening to us. And this was, again, during the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And we felt as though this is going off a tangent, but that our high school experience at CAJ didn't necessarily prepare us for our college experiences or experiences beyond CAJ, where we have to navigate these like really complicated racial contexts. And we weren't aware we didn't have enough, you know, black female authors that we had read. We didn't have enough of the vocabulary within our brain system to have conversations about police brutality or systematic racism. And we just felt that we would like future CJ graduates to be able to have these conversations and to graduate being aware of the oppression that is going on. Julie, if you want to add on. I guess just to add on about like how it started amongst us. So just for like context, Erica and I are like just regular friends. Like we always text just normally. So like while these tensions and like the protests were happening in the United States, we were just like talking about it. And I lived with Nashe. So of course, again, Nashe is just our friend. But initially kind of, I felt like most of this process, because we were all like within CAJ kind of in the same circle, it was very like a lot of it was through text messages and just like starting the conversation there. And it initially was started just with Erica and uh, I, and then we thought, okay, well we need someone else who's more CAJ and also who has maybe a better biblical perspective because from the very beginning, we realized the open letter she was just talking about, it had nothing to do with like Christianity. So I think whenever 
Christianity comes in, you just like can't ignore white supremacy, like kind of being based from Christianity, which I feel like was really controversial. And we were kind of scared of like saying that wanted someone who had recognized that but Anisha is like someone who was really strong in her faith kind of like a woke Christian in a way so we really wanted her as well as being like someone K through 12 CAJ and um so it started also again I should say like the three of us initially and at the time I think Nashe was just tired of being a black woman and I think it was like a very emotional time for a lot of black people like all over the world and so I think it was something I don't want to speak for her but it was something that was just too much for her to get involved with this but as she's someone who's like always been a voice for me and someone I've talked to about a lot of these issues I really did want her opinion and she wanted to offer some but I think one thing I want to say is the reason she ended up joining our call to action was because she felt often like when non-black people do it even if they are people of color they often co-opt the movement so for me I think it was really important and I was really grateful for Nashe for joining us and like she's also like you mentioned like how we brought up sexuality I was like that's something I am very like vocal about now but because of my background in church I was very scared to say that in CAJ and I felt like well we can't talk about that CAJ like we we can't say LGBTQ like the people are going to go crazy but I think Nashe's experience was like if we don't bring that up then all of this is pointless because those are also forms of violence so I really appreciated like her coming in and being like no we're going to say this we're going to say this you're you're absolutely right that it's very scary to say something like Christianity rooted in white supremacy or like talk about being LGBTQ. You're absolutely right that that, you know, we were very discouraged from even just saying that. Thank you so much for for sort of saying this very openly. I think that's really encouraging for others and to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. Right. And it's like if they can say it, I can say it. And I think that's just really helpful for the whole community. You know, no matter how people respond, it's helpful. (laughs) Even if people respond in a negative way, you're still benefiting the community. So yeah, thank you so much for doing that, for sharing about it. If I could add on a little bit to what we were talking about before, I think the process was a very cumbersome one that had, you know, many Zoom calls and whatnot, because uh, we wanted to be we didn't want to come from a place of, you know, anger or hate. So we really wanted to be intentional and political about um, how we come off. So before writing the open letter, we had talked to like uh, ex-administrators or teachers, current teachers at CAJ to kind of get a feel of you know, this is what we're thinking. We really want to improve, not improve, but we want, we think there's a lot of space to improve um, in terms of curriculum. And as alumni, like these are our experiences, our opinions. And we were like the ex-administrator we talked to was very um, clear in that, you know, what's important with the C- working with the CAJ administration is to to like build trust. So they were initially wary of the call to action letter because it is kind of, um, you know, not, it could be come off a little bit aggressive. So we were initially like, ah, maybe we won't do it. But then, you know, 
talking about it, we were like, but it is a very urgent thing and we don't want it to just be a conversation and something that can be dismissed. Uh, we wanted to have some kind of impact and urgency and we want to demonstrate that. So um, like, how should we go about it? And going back and forth and back and forth. It wasn't just, I would, I will like to say it wasn't just like an act of, you know, in the moment, like this is the trend. We're just going to do this and we're just going to write as much as possible. It was from our end, it was very, um, calculated even the fact that we wanted to make it semi-open so not shared on public like Facebook or things like that. I also think I initially had no idea how much work this would take and like how many conversations we would have to have because it seemed like I don't know this was just very naive of me to be like well obviously we should just change this 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 and like this is very straightforward we're all in this time of unlearning but I guess like institutions are more complicated than they seem. And that's why white supremacy has remained embedded so deeply and in ways that we haven't even realized in ourselves, we I've had to unlearn white supremacy. And so, yeah, just going off of that again, what Eric was saying, it did, it wasn't like, okay, let's just Black Lives Matter. Like I want to post something on my story to say that we're, you know, allies. I think it really it took a lot of time and like being intentional with what we were doing and really came from a place that we care about the current students and talking to alumni from my year. I honestly felt like most of our conversations were like, yeah, I didn't learn this at CAJ. And so we want to reduce that and like not have current students feel like, oh, post-graduation, now I'm learning about all these words. Now I have all this vocabulary. And I will say also that, you know, it's so great to be able to talk to alumni who, worn off from our year, especially through me and Julie's like very short time at CAJ. We only know basically people in our year, more or less. I will say we didn't get the chance to talk to older alumni and also too many of current students. So that's something we could have definitely done more. But at that time, we just wanted to start something going. And it's nice to see that now we're able to have this conversation and just it led to like a platform or an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, like we have access to people that we didn't before. Yeah, the alumni network at CAJ is really interesting. And I think there's this divide almost of people who are very like pro CAJ, pro Christianity. Maybe they themselves have returned to Japan to be missionaries or are, you know, serving in Christian jobs and have like exclusively fond memories of their time there. And then on the other hand, there's people who have very complicated memories and experiences from CAJ and who carry a lot of hurt and who felt marginalized while they were there. And so there isn't much overlap. And maybe those people who had negative experiences aren't interested in connecting with former alumni, understandably, but it's really like, I, I would love to hear from alumni uh, who've had all kinds of experiences and to connect and growing up, going to CAJ is such a unique experience. And we all have some similar challenges of navigating post-CAJ life. And I think it would have been great to like, have had, I don't know, access to a, like a robust alumni network who are open about discussing these sort of things. But I feel like the only acceptable community or like the messaging is like, oh, you know, what a fun, special time we had and kind of like nostalgia and leave it at that. So yeah, I'm glad I can 
talk to you guys. And also just like, I will, I shared the letter to my older siblings. I have three older siblings who all went to CHA. My brother is the oldest and he's nine years older and he signed the letter um, as did my sisters as well. So it's cool to see kind of like this span of generations who all, this is all very relevant, no matter what grade or class you graduated from. So yeah, thanks again to Echo Erica Hughesby. Thank you again. It required a lot of courage and work to write this letter. So thank you. I mean, no matter how long you were at CAJ, you had an experience there. And so your experience is valid uh, just by itself. But also in addition, it's definitely not unique. Like you did not say anything different, you know. It's interesting this whole, I don't know if this still existed when you guys were in CAJ, but when Julie and I were in CAJ, there was definitely like the Christian kids and the not Christian kids. Like there just seemed, that seemed to be kind of an identifier of what kind of CAJ student you are. It's not something that you experience like anywhere else. No one's like, oh, like, let me just see how spiritual or like how religious someone is. Like it's not an identifier at all. Erica, I'm curious, Uh, earlier you're sharing how you were very religious, but then when you came to CAJ, you had that 180. I'm curious what prompted that and what that was like for you at CAJ. Basically, I think I had, I was raised in a secular environment. I think that was the main difference. And I had, you know, access to Christian teaching and Christianity through my mother But it was also like, you know, once a week and she would sometimes drag me and like all my friends were not religious and all my friends uh, other than my church friends were my school upbringing as well was just didn't involve religion. So when I got to CAJ and I realized, you know, how every aspect of the schooling is tied to Christianity, which is I don't think it was that that was it, but I think it like how it affected just social relationships. And like I said, there's, you're kind of categorized with like a, you're a devout person or you're not, not a devout person. You're a person who drinks alcohol or a person who doesn't drink alcohol. You're a person who has sex and who doesn't have sex. And it's just like a very interesting way of, I don't want to say, I would say categorizing people by kind of like their, what fits into this culture and what doesn't I don't know that kind of was just even just my freshman year I felt it so it's interesting because yeah I had moved to CAJ wanting to be more religious and then I suddenly was dived into this very religious setting and I was like this is not for me (laughs) um it kind of just like you didn't drink the kool-aid (laughs) yeah I think it just kind of brought up like I when I was still just going to church once a week I could just um incorporate Christianity in the parts that I wanted to like and I I had control over it what parts I wanted to follow what parts I didn't but at CJ it's like I didn't have control over that it was mostly like I was being not forced but there was just like a standard that was being upheld and you either like abide by it or you don't. And I lost that element of trying, being able to incorporate some aspects of it. And then I just completely, it was gone. I think, yes, I would, I would still, yeah. And I don't, I think I don't attribute all of that to CAJ, but I think it was just more just like the 
immediate dosage of this like social relations surrounding Christianity thing that I've never experienced before to that extent. It's a strange dynamic and there's so many expectations. To be a good student, you have to excel academically. But then on top of that, there's this whole like unspoken expectation that you be a good Christian and like perform that Christianity in the accepted way. So even if you're, you know, a strong student and like want to do well, like you might be labeled as, you know, a problem student or something if you don't fit into this very rigid idea of acceptable behavior and unacceptable behavior. And that dynamic doesn't exist in other international schools. So that's yeah, really unique to CAJ, I think. And it was also a huge part of the academics. Um, at, so, at some point, I think in high school, every single class, you're going to write a paper. And part of the rubric for that paper is you know, the, I forget what they call it, biblical perspective, I think. Uh, what, you know, no matter whether it's a science or math or English paper, you always had to include a biblical perspective. And if you didn't have a good one, you know, you would lose points. Did you guys have that? Yes, it was called like what CFFR creation fall or redemption restoration. Is that what it, Nashe? I feel like, is that right? Yeah. Just a quick note that Nashe was able to join our conversation here. So the new voice you'll be hearing is Nashe's. That was it. That was it. It was CFFR. <laughs> and yeah, we like had to write biblical perspective for every essay, regardless whether regardless of the relevance you know so that was interesting i remember i did a project on superconductors and i was like how do i do this so i found a i found a, a verse that mentioned like heat and cold or something and, and they gave me like a very low grade for that because i like grew up in church it was like okay to jump in all of a sudden coming from a public school but i always did really poorly on it because i ended up just like googling like some like bible verse about blah 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 and then just like put it in. I never like really followed that exact formula. So I never did well on the biblical perspective and always like just did it at the very end. Well, I will say like adding on to what kind of we're all talking about, like because of the way I was raised, I was raised in a very like liberation theology sort of household. So even though, you know, we do these biblical perspective papers, every time we'd come home, my parents would like critic, like challenge me to think about whether this was actually relevant. That I think was part of how I kind of had an earlier understanding that maybe this sort of blind and I don't know if blind's the right word, but just kind of like this uncritical lens that we approach when we're looking at biblical education was probably not correct. Yeah, that's how I, I grew up thinking about biblical perspective. And probably Shout out to the Matendas. <laughs> they probably hated that. The teachers probably hated that. I was like, yeah, like this and that probably how you're supposed to like quote the Bible. So I'm just going to do it because I need to get the right grades so I can get into college. <laughs> do you think they would uh, let us interview them? I think that so, would be maybe. my dream I don't know. come true. I don't know. Your mom was like my favorite teacher. <laughs> Me too. I, <laughs> Me too. Literally. And you know yeah. they're all Mutenda fans here. <laughs> I mean, you, this you is a pro Mutenda podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know, I think that's like really interesting though, because I'm going to be honest, like, I don't think my family was or our approach to Christianity was very accepted by 
the mainstream CAJ community. I mean, even so, like, even now, I don't feel that. I think now that, like, you know, talking about race and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm also, I know I've like kind of like jumped into this conversation. So I don't know how relevant what I'm saying is, but now that it is like politically relevant to be talking about race, you know, maybe it's okay that my parents have like the, the conversations that my parents have always been having are like a little bit more accepted, but like, I think it's like so interesting to hear people be like, oh, like I'm pro Matenda because I've always just like seen our family as kind of the antithesis of what CAJ promotes as um, good Christian families or good Christian or Christian families that embody kind of the type of Christianity that missionary culture promotes. Oh, absolutely. I remember hearing things about your dad when I was a student at CAJ. (laughs) I'm like, oh, this guy. I mean, basically calling him an angry black man, you know, like, right. He he was seen as like, oh, you know, he's so radical. Right. Literally all he was saying was like, perhaps like we can't just, you know, when we're, when we're preaching Christianity to Japanese people, like people should maybe like learn Japanese culture. Like they can't just use Western mechanisms of colonialism to Japan. Like obviously like there's the whole conversation. Japan is also an imperial power, obviously. Like I think the things that he was saying 10 years ago are things that are a little bit more accepted now, but definitely you're right. People are like, wow, like he's talking about racism, like racism ended in the 60s you know (laughs) so and racism doesn't exist in the church or like that's politicizing christianity for no reason but yeah i think it is an interesting turn to and and i think to see how relentless both of my parents were and like sticking to their truth even when everybody else around them was like calling them absurd or radical or radical is a word i love by the way so i don't i don't think that's a negative thing to be called but you know definitely in christian circles it can be seen as a negative thing well, actually, speaking of the word radical, <laughs> we we decided to call this podcast uh, Radical Healing. And um, now I have no problem with anger. <laughs> Just wanted to say that. But I, a little bit kind of like Erica was saying was like the overall purpose of this is to heal. And the reason why we sort of talk about things that make us angry or or call out or criticize things is that it's a part of healing. You know, you can't heal when you haven't sort of named what you're healing from. So I want to know what does radical healing look like? You can, you know, you can answer that any way you like. Listening to your podcast episode, Erica, I think for me, I also personally need to do a lot of healing from growing up in a Christian with Christian principles from like topics related to sex and sexuality. I think that is super deep. And that is also why I think it's super important to address in a school curriculum from even like a decently young age. But I think, yeah, I just, for me and every Christian household or principle is different. So just my experience going to my church and my family was that a marriage is between like a man and a woman. That was like instilled from a young age. And then once I became a middle schooler, it was like, you should not have sex besides with anyone besides your husband. And it was, it was so deep. I think it was very deeply installed into my brain to a point where I, I remember like, 
I think it was in seventh grade. I still remember I called one of my best friends and I was like, oh, Rita, like, I think I might be into girls, but you cannot tell anybody like you can't bring this up to anybody ever like a seventh grader crying and like feeling so shameful of like even the prospect of maybe being into women was just like so emotionally dreadful to past Erica at that point that I think it took me even like 21 years to even fathom the possibility that oh maybe like I like women too and I think there's still a lot of healing to be done from that And also just like, yeah, just sex in general as well. I think a lot of like slut shaming and all these like things that I grew up with that I have to, you know, try to unlearn and let go of. I think my answer will look really similar to Erica. And I've had these conversations with Erica in the past and Nashe in the past. Nashe is the queen of telling me to go to therapy for... (laughs) like a lot of the things that we are talking about like especially sorry she's always telling me to go to therapy so I'm pro therapy (laughs) but I think yeah especially about sexuality my lens was so like abstinence only education I never thought about myself in the context of sex it just like also my mom is like she was single she's Japanese and Christian so that intersection meant sex like did not exist in my home at all. If it did, it was just like very quietly implied, of course, it's a man and a woman. Why would it be anything else? So for me, having that exposure and then I think what I went to just university for one year and I went to like a public university, a very big party school. And that was like my very first encounter with a completely secular environment and and sex and hookup culture and all of that. So for me, it was very shookening. And also I felt now in retrospect, my naiveness was like dangerous for me. It put me in a lot of situations that I wish I could have avoided. Like you live and you learn. I really stand by that. But yeah, looking back, I now I think as I educate myself and like learn more and unlearn those like deep heteronormative and like very patriarchal systems that has taken me even now it's like constantly unlearning and I'm at home right now, but I also identify with similar things Erica was talking about. And that's, <laughs> that's not something I talk about a lot with in my home, but that's been a process too. And being like, that's fine. But that was something that I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to hell. And also with like mental health wise, um, I always just thought like Jesus would take away depression. And then <laughs> I was very like, my mom was like that. And my mom has changed so much, which is something I'm really grateful for. And, um, but that's, I guess, in all aspects have had to like heal and kind of just unlearn that like Jesus was probably like pro therapy and like pro all these like terms. Like it's okay to call it depression. It's not a demonic like presence. Like you might just have a chemical imbalance. So for me, um, I guess just like learning basic things, like that for me has been radical healing. I I also had a similar experience where I kind of came, you know, from CAJ into a party school kind of, or I wouldn't say a part. I mean, it wasn't completely a party school, but you know, like it's where Pong was invented. (laughs) And so uh, beer Pong, yes, the rumors are true. Beer Pong was invented at Dartmouth. So like, it's like very, like, I was like really exposed to such a different world. And 
for me though, I I've thought about this question a lot. Um, but I think for me, radical healing was, you know, having experienced those two very different environments, how do I stay spiritual and how do I remove the cultural Christianity from the true expression of Christianity that I believe in? You know, I had many phases throughout my spiritual journey. And yeah, I think, it, you know, I was like, like Erica and Julie, I also um, identify as queer. <laughs> and um, that was not something I was able to express at CAJ safely, obviously, and even at my home. And I always just felt so much self-hate for these feelings that that I had that I, you know, I could, that I couldn't let go of. I just, and it, it still, it still plagues me to this day, how I, how I respond to that part of my identity, you know? And like, there were other, you know, obviously like the way we talk about sex and the way we talk about love and physical intimacy and talking about consent, it's just really, it was missing, right? In the way that I thought about my humanity, the way I thought about my being. So for me, when I came to Dartmouth, it was like very like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want. Like I have all this space. Obviously, like you also need to find that balance because that's, I don't think that's also healthy, right? Like you also need to find, you can't just indulge in everything that you couldn't do when you were in CAJ or when you were in your, you know, bubble high school. And so I think it took me like, honestly, two years of, of experiencing like, indulging and then a year of depression <laughs> then my senior year when I was finally like oh like there is a balance there is a way for me to like find spirituality that is not attached to this like disgusting Trump evangelical fundamentalist Christianity like Christianity that I that I can that that coincides with my you know Marxist ideologies and you know what I consider myself I mean, okay, I feel like the word Marxist is, it, it has heavy connotations, but I really identify with this it. This is a pro-Marxist podcast. <laughs> okay, great, 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 great. But I, I, I heavily identify with the ideology and like being able to reconcile my Christianity with that, I think was part of my radical healing and being able to be like, oh, I'm not like making things up. Like Jesus was probably a socialist. If he was alive now, he would probably not be a capitalist <laughs> like i think those were i think that was all part of the radical healing and i think that the hard thing the balance is hard to find you know you can't just like be in this bubbled environment forever but you also can't let go of yourself like i think you need to like spirituality is important regardless of what religion you follow i think that's part of our ability to live as people is to you know adhere to something that's beyond us and i think that was part of my that, that's how i saw my radical healing journey. And I think it's a journey that I'm still on, but it's one that I'm a lot comfortable with now. Thank you all so much for sharing. I, I know it's like you, you still, you know, struggle, but that's really cool that you had each other as a support. I don't know if you all have heard of the podcast, Nancy. It's two Asian American journalists, maybe. I'm not exactly sure what else they do. Uh, they're both gay. And for a portion of their podcast every episode they would talk about like finding a queer community sort of make sort of finding friends you know and uh, sort of making your your gay friends basically and I think that's a really important thing like for me it wasn't until I was like basically surrounded by a bunch of gay Marxists that I was like oh cool like <laughs> cool. 
And so I, the reason why I'm saying this is having that community is so important. And I hope that with this podcast, you know, if people are feeling, I guess, isolated, please reach out. I will be your gay friend. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, like that, that means a lot though, because like, I feel like for us, we all really like came out to each other once we graduated, but imagine if people could express this side of their identity while they were at CAJ. Like, oh, I, I can't even could, imagine that, you know, <laughs> exactly. And I, I mean, that was also part of our letter. I know we've, I'm sure we've already talked about that, but I think just being able to be like, oh, I, I can still you know, follow Christianity or I can still identify as a Christian, even though everybody else has been telling me that I can't and not suppress this part of my identity. Like, I just think about if if I heard this podcast as like a middle schooler or a high schooler, I'd be like, wow, this is this is so awesome. Like there are people out there that like are really engaging and talking about these things. So I think that's like super awesome that you guys are doing this. I think this isolation and sense of shame, I think many people experience it if you don't fit into the category of good Christian kid. So, but also like, does anybody fit into yeah, that category? I, <laughs> no. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, Keep no, going. No, no, Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And yeah, I'm just like, so happy to hear stories and to start talking and to hear more and I just can relate to a lot of what you guys shared about all this deep-rooted unpacking that you've all had to do when it comes to sex and sexuality and the shame and can't imagine how many other people also have experienced that or currently are experiencing that you know so let's continue talking yeah thank you guys so much thank you so much thank you yeah truly thank you thanks for listening to this episode of radical healing podcast this podcast is made by Erica Hughesby and Julianne Picardo with music by Marlos Townsend. You can find and subscribe to Radical Healing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For information and more resources, check out our website, RadicalHealingPod.com and follow us on Instagram at Radical Healing Pod. We're always looking for more people who would like to share their story, whether it's about CAJ experience, growing up international, or radical healing. If you'd like to get in touch, send us an email at RadicalHealingPod at gmail.com.